It's always a bit strange coming back in here. I had a chance to teach the main service last Sunday, and it's always strange coming back up here um, after I do that because uh, you guys are a much more um, just like narrow demographic, you know, 14 to 18. Uh, how many 14-year-olds do we have in the room? Raise your hand. All right, they're all over here. 15 years old, raise your hand. Well, there's less of them. We're like, yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of rare on the 15-year-olds. How about 16? 17, raise your hand. 18. All right, we're spread fairly even. So uh, when I teach, did you guys know that our church has an 815 service? Like 815 in the morning. Do you know that? So I teach that one uh, last Sunday, and the average age is around 80, I think. And uh, I think. So, um, so sometimes it's like I'm used to talking to you guys, and at times I'll say something that an 80-year-old will totally not understand. So one time I said the phrase, blowing up Twitter. And um, a friend of mine, he was, he was like, dude, you can't say that at the A15 service. No one in A15 has a Twitter account. <laughs> I said, you're probably right. i got to make sure I'm hitting my audience correctly. So, but um, with you guys, I feel like I understand you to an extent. Not always, but to an extent. So, uh, so this morning, we are getting back into our Honest Worship series from the book of Psalms. And I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm 19, and we are going to run through this fairly quickly, and we're going to do breakouts at the very end today in the breakout rooms. I'll explain that in a moment. But people are always asking the question, question I hear a lot that people ask is, if God is real, then why doesn't he reveal himself? If God's real, then why doesn't he just appear and show up and, and just reveal himself beyond all shadow of a doubt where people can just know, okay, he's, he is who he says he is, he's real, he's God, and they can then worship him. Why doesn't he say something? If God's real, why doesn't he reveal himself? Why doesn't he say something to let people know who he is? And so we get that question sometimes from people. You may have heard that question from a friend. You may have had that question yourself at some point in your life. But today's passage is going to answer those questions for us. In Psalm 19, we get a clear, pretty clear answer for the question that we just raised. And we're going to see that there are two ways that God speaks um, to us. And the first way that God speaks primarily is through his creation. He speaks through his creation. So we're going to look at Psalm chapter 19, just verses, uh, starting off verses 1 through 6. So go ahead and turn there if you have your Bibles. Here's what it says. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has a tent. He has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. And so I don't know if you've ever had this thought in your mind when you're just walking around, you're going through your daily routine. Have you ever had this thought where you're just doing your normal daily routine, and suddenly you just realize that, wait a second, we are, we are floating in the middle of space on a speck of dust, Right? Ever had those? Is that just me that thinks those kinds of thoughts that's randomly in the middle of the day? Do you guys think those kinds of things? And you just, you, you realize like, oh my gosh, like there is a sun. There is a moon. Like what in the, this is crazy. 
Like just these things that we take for granted. We have these, nat- these we call them natural because they've always been here. But when you really think about what we are living on and how just complex and glorious the world that you and I live in really is, um, it gives you a whole no- new appreciation for where we find ourselves in our galaxy, in our solar system. And so the question is, if God speaks through his creation, what he's made, then what does it say about him? In this passage we see in verse 1, it says, it says the heavens declare the glory of God. So the universe that we live in says something big about him. It speaks of God's bigness, his glory um, throughout our universe. Some people look at the expanse of our universe and they ask this question. Well, when you look at how big the universe is, there has to be some other life out there is what some will say. And so do you, do you guys ever go up, go out in, at night, especially here in Texas where we live, and just look up at the sky at night and just, just look at how, how amazing it is, how picturesque it can be? Um, I would do that more here if it wasn't 93 degrees at midnight, okay? Um, when I start to sweat, I'm like, I got to go back inside, um, even if it's dark outside. So um, I would do that more if that wasn't the case. But when you go out there and look at, like truly look at what you see in the sky and just, just amaze at how far away these things are, how, how much space is between us and these things that you're seeing from earth. And so some people look at all that and they think, well, there has to be um, other life out there. That's what some will say. And so you have people that, um, you guys ever hear of the, those crazies out in New Mexico that have the, um, the, the little, uh, the, the, what's it called, the place out there that's uh, known for aliens? You guys know it so well. How do you guys know that, huh? Yeah, so you've seen it on TV, right? Um, you've seen the documentaries. So you see that, the, those kinds of people that think that, but here's, here's my um, question is, uh, or let me tell you a story about, um, there's a guy I saw uh, recently on a, on a documentary. His name's Richard Dawkins. He's a profound, he's a dedicated atheist, and he is a professor, I think, either at Cambridge, Oxford, one of the big schools over there. Looks like a super intelligent dude. He's got a thick British accent, which makes him at least smarter than me, right? And uh, he just loves, he, he writes books. He's written a book mainly called, one of his books is called The God Delusion, uh, saying how anybody that believes in God or any kind of God is basically delusional. And he has really started a, a whole stream of books that have been written um, that are based on what's called the New Atheism, which is this new stream of thought coming out of the academy. And, and he's one that is, is leading that charge, just trying to get people to understand that there's no such thing as a God. And one of the things he said in an interview, someone said to him, okay, if there's no God, then, then where did all of this, like where did life come from? Like how did life get on earth? And his statement blew me away. He said, well, you know, possibly um, aliens put life on earth. And he was serious. And I just walked away from that interview thinking, that's amazing that this guy will totally um, not believe in something like God and think that's completely foolish. And then you say, well, okay, how did life get here? And he's going to reply, well, possibly aliens and he doesn't see the irony of that statement. Like, you're going to believe in this, but not believe that God is possible, at least. And I was amazed. And so some people will look out there and think, well, there must be life somewhere out there that's beyond us. And what they'll do is they'll completely miss the idea that, well, maybe there's, 
a God that's behind all this as well. Maybe there's a God that is behind. Maybe someone did all of this. And so we, we, we see these kinds of questions being asked by people. This verse also says, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. I think of God's bigness and his glory. We also see God's detail, his perfection, his, um, his detail as we think of the word handiwork. In verse 2 it says, daytime, it says day-to-day pours out speech, night-to-night reveals knowledge. When you see, when the, when, when the sun goes down and the stars come out, there is new knowledge that we gain from that. As It's like one light goes out, the other lights turn on. And we can now see fully, at least from our perspective, what God has created. I love verse 3 where it says, There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. There's a speaker who's kind of a famous speaker named Louis Giglio. Got to be careful how you say his last name. Uh, but he is a guy who does a lot of speaking and talking about... Um, uh, he's a Christian guy, speaking and talking about like stars and planets, and he's, he's fascinated by science, and he always ties science into his messages. And so this morning, I wanted to have you watch this video where he shows the, the, the speech and the real sound waves that emanate from certain stars and these kinds. Let's go ahead and watch this video. Let's show you a couple more stars. This one is called the Vela Pulsar. And it's magnificent. A thousand light years away, it's a highly magnetized neutron star. Right. (laughs) It simply means this star exploded into a supernova, and in the case of the Vela Pulsar, it collapsed back on itself in a magnetic entity, and as the pulsar, it began oscillating on its axis. This one oscillates 11 times a second on its axis. And that doesn't seem to move anybody tonight, so I encourage you to you get back to the hotel to oscillate 11 times a second on your axis, and you will appreciate the Vela Pulsar in a different way. And as it is oscillating, you can see what's happening. It's shooting a radio frequency out of itself. And so not only do we have this amazing photograph But we're determined to hear somebody speaking to us. And so through SETI and other highly advanced um, electromagnetic telescope programs, we're listening to the universe day and night. And I don't know if you know this or not, but when I say we, I mean we as in your tax dollars are paying large sums of money to build radio telescopes that circle the earth to continually listen to see if anybody out there is speaking to us. To date, we have not heard any intelligent life speaking back to us, but we have gotten something for our money because when they aimed the radio telescopes at the Vela Pulsar, this is what they heard. And this is what this guy does 24-7, day and night, 365 days a year. This is what, from a thousand light years away, the Vela Pulsar sounds like right now. This is it. Listen to this. about you but I that blew me away I'm thinking wow this is incredible 
You're like, well, what does it mean? I don't know. Is that some kind of Morse code for something? Or what, what, what does all that mean? I don't know what it means, but, and I don't want to you know, go too crazy here, but maybe the Vela Pulsar got wind somehow innately of Psalm 148, verse 3, and says, it says, praise Him, sun and moon and all you shining stars. We're a shining star. We should praise Him. Well, how are we going to praise Him? I know. Let's oscillate 11 times a second on our axis and see if we can send a radio signal into the universe that would join in the symphony of of God's praise from all creation. It's singing. The stars are singing to him. I recently stumbled on 47 Tuck. It's a a beautiful uh, cluster of stars. We'll show you the picture of it here. It's about um, 16,700 light years away from where we are. And you can see just this brilliant, it looks like a sort of he shoved a lot of diamonds together into a pile. It's an unbelievable number of stars there. Look at these. They blow up that central place right there. There are 12 of these supergiant blue stars in there, but the things that are of interest to us tonight are these millisecond pulsars. 23 millisecond pulsars are there, and we've recorded 16 of them. And right now tonight, while we're sitting in this room, the 16 recorded millisecond pulsars and 47 tuck are making this sound right now. That was a little odd to Who knew? No, God has his own string section. <laughs> so that one star was a loud tune, wasn't it? I think it was. When you when you look at all, when you see all this, and you and you hear those things, um, the question becomes: What does all of this point to? And, and most people want to look at just the subject matter, the science, and just say, look how complex it is, look how amazing it is, and they just focus just on that. But if, if the, the subject itself is that complex, and that glorious in and of itself, then what does it point to? It points to a God who is even more complex, more glorious. Some will say that um, a, a painter, or a painting always says something about the painter, a, pain, a painting always expresses something about the painter. But yet, none of us would ever look at just the painting and go, that's just that's an amazing... You look at the, the, the person, the human who actually made this, and say that the human is way more complex than the painting itself. When you look at how complex our creation is, the universe is, you have to say that the one who made this has to be that much more complex, that much more glorious than the things that we're seeing that's out there as crazy and as glorious and complex as those things are. God himself is that much more glorious, that much more complex in who he is. We also know that um, in verse 6 it says, nothing is hidden from the heat of the sun. And again, this past week when I was looking at this, I just had another thought where I was, random thought, 
that we often take for granted. But I thought about this. Put my next picture up there. Um, this is a picture of the sun, the moon, and the and the earth. And um, it's just crazy to think. Do you guys know how far away the sun is from the earth? You guys should know this. You're in school. 93 million miles. 93 million miles from we are from the sun. And I was blown away. I walked over to my stove because my stove was hot. And I walked over and I just went, okay, I can feel the heat about right here, about two feet away. But I walk away and I feel nothing from that stove. I'm not close enough. And it just blew my mind that we are 93 million miles from a star and we can actually feel its heat on our skin. That's just, that blows my mind that heat can travel that far. And if you don't wear sunscreen, many of you regret it, right? It blows me away that we're this far away and we can, nothing is hidden from the heat of the sun. Nothing is hidden from the heat of the sun. And so there's three responses that people have when they see all of this creation. Some see the stars and they worship them. This goes back to ancient religions. Some people see the, the sun, the moon, the stars, and they just say, well, these, this must be God. They see those things and they worship them. But what you see more in our modern day is some people see the stars and they just explain them. Some people see the stars and they just have an explanation for, well, you know, this is all a result of one big cataclysmic Big Bang, and this is what we have, and it's just all matter, and there's nothing really glorious and profound and nothing really um, meaningful about it. It's just what we have today in our world, and there's a scientific explanation for all of it. They just explain it. But the Christian, someone who truly believes what God says in his word, the Christian is someone who sees the stars and they worship the God behind them. They worship, they see these glorious things, these complex things, and they worship the God that's behind all of it. You know, some people um, refer this passage to Romans chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, because many, many are going to see all that we described this morning, and they're going to choose to ignore the God behind it. And this is what Paul was talking about when he wrote this passage in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 20. Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So what is he saying? He's saying God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature. These are things that are clearly seen through his creation. This is what this means. No one gets to look out at creation and say, okay, God, where are you? No one gets to have that excuse. No one gets to look at all this and say, okay, I don't see much evidence for God. Romans 1 is clear that that we are all accountable to this idea that we have to look at our creation and say, there must be someone who is behind all of this. There must be someone who created all of this. And so this is called 
Many call this God's general revelation. This is him speaking through his creation, speaking of his existence through his creation. But some people are going to see all of this, and they're going to refuse to see the God behind it, and they're going to simply turn their back on God and ignore everything that's here in this book. That's just what some people are going to do. In fact, um, uh, speaking of ignoring and turning our back on, on things like this, uh, do you guys want to hear a funny Sienna story? My daughter? You don't want to hear a funny Sienna story? He's on the front row, but he's like saying no. He's like talking trash to the speaker up here. Um, that's okay. I still love you, man. You're right. So, uh, so last Sunday, uh, my wife, for the first time, she brought my daughter and my son into the main service, um, 11 o'clock service, to, to see me preach in the main service. And Sienna has never seen a sermon in her life. She's like, what? She said a sermon. She's like, what's a sermon, right? She's used to like a little kid church where they don't have those longer sermons. So um, I'm, I'm seeing them on the front row. And, uh, and then at, at, we go home after church. And this is what Sienna says to me. She walks into the kitchen and she had this like whiny voice, and I love her whiny voice. It's awesome. And uh, she says to me, she goes, she goes, she goes, Daddy. She's she's carrying her blanket. She goes, she goes, Daddy, why were you up there? You were just talking for so long. You were just talking and uh, talking and talking, and you wouldn't stop talking. And I wanted to go home, and you would not stop talking, and Mommy would not take me home, and I was trying to go to sleep on her lap, but I couldn't sleep because you just kept on talking. And I'm sitting there going, wait, wait, wait a second. I was like, girl, I slaved over that sermon. Like, I, I spent hours, like, thinking, praying, trying to craft this sermon for our congregation. And my daughter, of course, she's only five, right? She doesn't understand. But she's only five. And, and so she is someone who is going to hear all of that. I've spent all this time crafting this sermon, right? And she doesn't care. Like, she completely ignores it. She wants to go to sleep. I don't blame her. And, and this is exactly how I think some of us um, treat God. Like, God has spent, um, well, the Bible says six days on creation, that he spent six days speaking everything into existence, crafting everything, showing off his glory, showing off his handiwork. And yet so many people, including us as Christians, we just turn our back on and we're like, yeah, I don't care. I don't care. And we ignore his revelation, his uh, revelation through creation. And so um, I think many of us fall into the same trap spiritually. And uh, I know whenever we say all this, you might look at creation, you might say, okay, Dave, that's great that, we, that, that creation points to an evidence for God being out there somewhere. But how does that get us to Jesus? Like, how do, you, how do you look at the stars and go, okay, Jesus died on the cross, resurrection. How do we make the leap from, yes, someone, God, created all of this. How do we then make the leap to um, revelation that's specific about Jesus Christ? And this is where um, God's Word comes in. And we're going to look at the next section here, verses uh, 7 to 11, where we see God speaking through His Word. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, Reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. 
even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So whenever we see, we look out at creation, what should happen inside of us is this understanding that, yes, someone must have created all of this. And then the fact that God speaks through his general revelation through creation then leads us to this other place of saying, okay, what else has that God said about himself? And that's where we turn to this book. And this is God's specific revelation. So what happens is, what we see out there, when we look at that out there, it should make us pay attention to what's in here. And we see God's special revelation through his word. And so I want you to look at some of the phrases used here as it describes God's law. It says, God's law is perfect, it revives the soul. That means it can change people. I talked to a guy this morning at our church who can't, I actually know this guy from before, but he said, I want you to let you know that what God's doing in my life, um, God has been changing this man. He's gone through some really tough things in his life. God's been changing this man the last several years, where his kids don't even recognize him as the same kind of person. He said, my kids are kind of coming back into my, my life now because they see that God's changed me. It revives the soul. It changes people. God's testimony is sure. It makes us wise. God's precepts are right. It rejoices the heart. God's commands are pure. It enlightens the eyes. It brings life to us. God's rules are true. It says they're more desirous than gold and sweeter than honey. For you to really understand how this, this, this concept of more desirous than gold and sweeter than honey, you have to understand what those things were back then. I know that gold is still valuable. But when we think of God's law, most of us think of rules. We think of, oh, yeah, yeah, rules. Those, those don't sound very fun. But when the, the psalmist is writing this, he is looking at God's law, and he is saying, this is more desirous than gold. This is sweeter than honey. The sweetest substance back then was honey. Gold was the most valuable commodity, which in many ways it still is. But if you were to, if you were to have someone lay before you a big pile, a big briefcase full of money and a big pile of rules... Which one are you going to go for? The money, right? So this is not about just big pile of rules, big pile of money. Which one are you going to take? Of course you're going to take, of course you're going to love the rules, right? It's not about just the rules. When this is referring to God's law, this is referring to God's whole revelation. It's referring to God's um, whole testimony about himself. His commands, yes. Yes, his rules. But those rules are always because of a relationship that we have with him. The rules are there because of a relationship that we have with him. They're not just there just for their own sake. And so you've got to see the rules in light of the relationship that he offers us with him. And so when someone understands God's word truly, you begin to see um, God's word as desirable, just like it says here when he says it's sweeter than honey. And so I want to ask you the question, you know, what is the most valuable thing to you right now? Just in your mind, like what is the most valuable thing to you right now? What is the most, what is the thing that you look to for identity? And this is saying that whatever you find that's valuable, whether it's monetary, whether it is even something that is um, leisure, and those kinds of things, 
that God's word is more valuable than those things. God's word has more value than that. And even I, as a Christian, who've been a Christian for a long time, I've got difficulty seeing it that way. I have a difficult time seeing it in the way that it's being described here. I don't, I don't look at God's word, his revealed word, all the time and say, you know, this is the best thing that I have in my life. This is the best thing that I have going. I rarely see it as that because my sin gets in the way. My sin eclipses what, this, what God wants to do through this in my life. And so I think many um, of us as Christians, we see God, you begin to see God as this, this, this huge, burdensome thing. And yeah, I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to enjoy it. I'm supposed to like it. But um, I think many of us, we begin, we begin to see God's, God's law, his commands, his revelation. We see it as just something that we're supposed to do. We don't take joy in it in the way the psalmist does in this passage. We see it as just, you know, eating our vegetables, just working out, just going through some discomfort because you know you're supposed to. That's how many of us see, I think, what God wants to say in his word. But the psalmist sees it clearly, and he knows that, no, this truly is more valuable than anything we give our life to. It's more valuable than anything. And if you really see it for what it is, you will see it as more valuable than fine gold and more sweeter than honey, actually um, bringing joy to your life and not just some overloaded burden in your life. And so God speaks through his general revelation. He speaks through his specific revelation. And we look at verse 12. Look at verse 12 in this passage. We're going to see how the psalmist here responds to what he sees. It says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I'm going to finish this very quickly so we can go to our breakouts in a moment. But there's two things I want you to see. We see two kinds of sin that are being talked about in this passage. There's a hidden sin. This is the hidden faults he's talking about. This is sin that he's unaware of. Sin that he doesn't even know exists in his life. And there's also obvious sins. That'd be presumptuous sins in this passage. So there's hidden sins, sins we don't even know about, and there's obvious sins, blatant rebellion against God. And what this passage, I think, is, is trying to get at is that the more you look into the law of God, it's going to invoke a response. So God's general revelation through creation should make you want to listen to this, this book, God's special revelation, and it's going to invoke a response of either rejecting it or accepting it. And the psalmist, as he's writing this, he is, he is forced to respond in a humble way, where he says, God, examine me. So looking at all that we have around us, looking at the Bible, should force us to examine ourselves and make us realize our lostness without Christ. This is what the law ultimately points to is that you and I are lost apart from Christ. We have no redemption apart from Christ. And so I know for, for most people, most of us don't want to think any more about our sin than we have to, do we? We just don't. But what this psalmist is saying is that when you look at God's word, his law, you're going to be forced to examine yourself, examine your hidden sins, the sins that you don't even want to know about, and the sins that are obvious. And when you see those things, hopefully 
you will be driven to this idea that you need a redeemer in Jesus Christ. Is, re- is that concept placed specifically in this passage? No, we don't see Jesus' name in the passage. But that's what it's ultimately pointing to, is redemption. And that's only found in Jesus Christ. And most of us, when we think of our sin, we think of, well, if I think of, if I think of my sin too much, I'm just going to get crushed. The weight of it is just going to be too much. I can't, I can't think about that too much. But the good news is that you don't have to be crushed by it because somebody was already crushed for you. Isaiah talks about Jesus himself being crushed for us. You're, when you look at the law, you don't have to be crushed by this idea that you're sinful. You can take that idea to the cross and say, yes, Jesus, I know you were crushed for me, so I don't have to be crushed by my sin. And there's, I think, um, four ways I want to unpack how this passage affects certain people, I think, that are even possibly in this room. And here's the four people I want to kind of speak to right now as we close up. There is someone who I would call you the blatant unbeliever. Like you were just, you're not a believer, which we're glad that you're here if that's where you stand. Um, we're glad that you're here with us this morning. But you're someone that, that you're just like, you know what, I don't believe any of that. I'm going to live however I want to live. And I don't believe anything that my parents say about God or the Bible. I don't believe any of it's true. And you're just a blatant unbeliever. You don't really care. You're just like, you're going to do your thing. And the thing I want, this passage I think speaks to us about is that sin, this passage refers to sin having dominion over us or being set free from sin's dominion over us. And when you say that, when you say that, you are saying that you, you think you're buying into freedom. You think you are rejecting Christ and buying into freedom. And the Bible's clear that sin always has dominion over us. You're just becoming a slave to something else, a slave to your sin. And I think this passage speaks to um, someone in this situation. And then secondly, the seeking unbeliever. This is someone who is, um, maybe you're not a believer yet, but you're seeking, you're thinking about it, you're, you're sort of interested. You're drawn by this idea that, um, that God is, uh, might be out there and that maybe Jesus Christ is who he said he was. And so I think when you look at this passage, I want to encourage you, I think Jesus Christ himself is inviting you to trust him, inviting you to believe in him. As you look at our creation, he's inviting you to trust in him and to then pay attention to this, this book, through his word. And ultimately, he's inviting you through his son, Jesus Christ, to put your faith and trust in him. Then we have someone that I call that would call the rebellious believer. This might seem like a, a contradiction in terms, but I, I would call this person the rebellious believer. This is the person who, if you said to them, yes, I, if, if you said to them the gospel, they would say, yeah, I believe all that. Yeah, I believe this, this, and this about Jesus. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the cross. I believe that you forgive my sin. But it hasn't really sunk in into their heart and soul. You can just see a detachment from it. They might believe it intellectually, but they, they don't see it as fine gold. They don't see it as sweeter than honey. They just see it as moral obligation. And this kind of person usually tries to live in this in-between realm where they try to be a little bit of a rebel, nothing too crazy, while still maintaining that they believe that Jesus Christ is God and that he died on the cross for their sins. 
And so I call this person the rebellious, unbel- or the rebellious believer. And this passage, I think, speaks to you because he, God wants you to see this as this is better than fine gold. This is sweeter than honey. There is joy and delight in following him. And the last person I want us to think about is what I would call the legalistic believer. This is the person who is always fearful, always fearful they're not living it out just right. They look at all the rules. They follow all the rules. But for this person, there's no true joy and delight as they follow these rules. They emphasize the rules a lot more than the relationship. And they get so caught up in the rules, and they forget that this God who's revealed himself through creation and revealed himself through his word, that this God wants a relationship with them that's not based on rules, but it's one based on the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, shed on the cross in his grace and mercy to us. And I think this passage hits all four different types of people. And all of us fall into one of those four categories. So my prayer this morning is that God would speak to you through this passage. You see him in a new light. You see Christ in a new light this morning. So for the sake of time, we're going to try something different. We're not going to go to the breakout rooms. We're going to do something different. Um, the, the purpose of us doing the breakouts today was going to be not just for discussion, but also um, I told you guys a couple of weeks ago that we are trying to update our, our class lists. And this might just sound like detail work for you, but it's actually really important in how we shepherd you because we've got to be able to contact you 